Zilka Joseph. Zilka, welcome to Living Writers. Thank you, T. It's just wonderful to be here. Thank oh, you so much. Oh, it's, wonder- it's wonderful to have you. And um, we have your, your book. I, I hold your book in my hands, Lands I Live In. Um, this is with, uh, let's see, May Apple Press mm-hmm. out of right. uh, Bay City, Michigan. That's right. And just out in 2007. That's right. So March 2007. So, um, so, and we'll be hearing a little bit uh, from the book uh, later on, sure. a few poems, and then you've got new work. And, and some old work and too. some old work <laughs> yeah, I've been writing for a while now <laughs> so I'd love to share some other poems too oh yeah. wonderful because your work and that's completely appropriate of course well because you're a poet so what isn't appropriate right <laughs> um, and what isn't appropriate is probably best, <laughs> the best. yes <laughs> um, the best stuff but, but you're working currently on a full length collection that's right of poems that's and, right. and you're here you know what before I go any further let me just read a little bit about your biography sure. um, Zilka Joseph was born in Bombay India her family moved to Calcutta where she grew up she currently lives in Auburn Hills, Michigan, with her husband, um, and you're you're currently here at the University, at the of, University Michigan, of Michigan, second yes. year of the MFA program. That's right. Um, and then you've got a whole lot of other things in your biography that we're going to kind of talk about as they as we get to them. Okay, uh, if that sounds good. Um, so, so Zilka, this this is your 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 second year in Michigan at the university. At the university. But yes. when you first came to the states, you actually you emigrated to Chicago in in nineteen ninety seven. Ninety seven. That's right. And so, why why was that? What brought you What brought you to the states? And um, um, my uh, really we. I was a teacher in India, and my husband uh, worked at a bank and computers, and um, that was when there were uh, a lot of uh, IT jobs, computer jobs in the U.S., and uh, that's when my husband decided to apply and, you know, see what happened. And both of us were really keen on a new life and, you know, doing new things and trying new things, and we... um, just really wanted to try something new for both of us. So by that point, had did you already have the the masters in comparative literature? Yes, Zilka? yes, I was already. Uh, I had masters in in uh, comparative literature, and I also had a teaching degree called the B.Ed. And then I was teaching in a high school for about seven years before I came to the U.S. For so, boys, by the sounds yes, of it, in for, the poems. For boys, okay. Yes. <laughs> I was one of the few women teachers in the senior school. Yes, and that so that actually um, it comes into one of the poems, poems too, where right. as when you leave, the right. the principal says, "Well, I won't be hiring women again because they always <laughs> leave when their husbands right, get new right, jobs." Right. But good thing he did. I mean, I think he was just peeved that I was leaving. I yeah, think. yeah he, well, he was a good man. <laughs> really, <laughs> if he's listening out there, no hard feelings. Really, right? <laughs> in the world of podcasts, you just right, never know, Zilka. Right, right, um, right. and. And so, and when did you begin writing poems then? Because you were teaching, I saw mm-hmm. in your in your biography too, you were a librarian. Right. Um, so, so when, is it something that you've been writing ever since you were a wee lass? Or, or is it something that, how did you find the poems right. and the writing? I think I was, I was a very creative child. And um, I was already playing around with poetry and doing things with, language and writing stories and poems but I don't think anybody around me took 
them seriously and neither did I. It was like just part of growing up where, you, you know, you do things. And then I wrote a couple of things for school. I did a bit in college and seemed to do pretty well. But I don't think so anybody kind of classes? looked at me as a writer mm. or that I thought of myself as a writer because you kind of say, okay, I'm going to be a teacher. Or I'm going to be a professor or a journalist, you know, and... Um, a profession rather than right, a vocation. Right, or? exactly. And, uh, you know, and, and the writing came and went. It wasn't like, you know, I wrote consistently and I read consistently for sure. And, you know, because I'm a teacher, I was always reading and teaching new stuff. But and what were you teaching then? Was it I was literature? teaching high school English, so language and literature. And, you know, we um, are system is based very closely on the British system. So we have, you know, we do the Shakespeare and we do the Dickens and we do the <laughs> Romantic poets and the Victorian. I mean, you know, you know what that that's all about. So we did a lot of that and as well as um, Indian writers writing in English, a little bit of world literature. So, you know, just just a lot of short stories and poems and things like that. And, and S- Zilka, what was your first language? Actually, my mother tongue is Marathi, but because my my family spoke English and everybody was educated in English, I basically grew up speaking both those languages. In the house. In the house. Well, yes. In the house. And um, because in India, every state has a different language. If you move to a different state, you learn a different language. And plus in school, you learn Hindi. So that's, you know, so basically I speak Hindi and Bengali. And then Marathi is my mother tongue. I've lost touch a little bit with it because I've lived in Bengal for so many years. So I actually speak Bengali and Hindi better than I do Marathi. (laughs) And um, Hindi I studied for 12 years in school. So I can read and write at a pretty high level. Wow. So I, that's, that's, I'm glad I remember some of it still. <laughs> right, right. Because right. you're probably not getting that much of an opportunity to, to flex those language muscles right now. That's true. Or do you ever write in, in the other languages no, that you have? I, I've never written in an Indian language except like, you know, if it was like a classwork assignment or something where we did things. That was so long ago. So I, I really can't remember much of it. But it would be fun to see if sometime later I you know, try my hand at something in Hindi or Bengali, you know, just for fun, if not, you know, something serious. Because English is what I, you know, think in and dream in and write in, so, and mostly read in, too. So then that that makes no. sense, doesn't it? But I guess, like, if you were to do it, it would be fun and serious. It's always both, isn't it? Right, sort of right. The, the I think words. it has to be with writing. Because if if the fun part doesn't happen, then you know it's 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 just work. And I I think you always reach that point in your writing when you've lost yourself in your writing. And I think that's when I'm having the most fun. It's the most exhausting, but it's the most fun when that happens. And and I think those are the moments when I write my best poems. And when you mean when you strongest say poems, the, really the strongest. And, yeah. and when you say losing yourself, what is that? When um, what do you mean by that exactly? It's it's the moment when um, it could be something I'm. I'm doing for an assignment or some idea I've had and I'm kind of scribbling around and uh, that moment just gets 
into something that's really intense. It just intensifies, and I think of little else, and I. It, it's just the pen. It's just my thoughts and the pen moving. And I think every writer knows what I'm talking about when I say that. And and it's, it's, it's a very deep. Uh, it's it's just something very deep and very intense. The, and the loss of time, really. Yes, and yes. so, and it can be if it's one line, right. or it could right. be a completed right. piece. Uh, yes. Yeah. But whatever whatever it is that's being that's writing itself on the page, and I think that's basically what I mean. Mm-hmm. It's because it's interesting because I I wanted to talk a little bit about that only because when I think we hear some of your poems, Mm -hmm. we'll we'll see that you are very present on the page within that. And so I I was so there's a way to talk about losing the self, but then maybe it's because you're finding the self so much in such clarity in the art itself or or so in the images that are coming. to I'm not sure I'm really conscious of that when I'm in the process of writing. Right. You're not a machine. No, I can't do that. <laughs> and very often I can't do that even like when I've when a poem is finished and I've taken it to somebody and they're looking at it and they kind of give me some feedback on it and then I go oh okay now I see what's happening and sometimes you need that distance too to kind of really see you know what larger themes are playing out in your work mm. and um, I, I, I've more recently become aware of those and are kind of seeing things in a more um, with larger vision if I may say that the, a way to put the poem a particular poem in some sort of a, a framework is that what you mean uh, or that too but I, I think what I mean by actually looking at the larger work is just seeing how certain um, themes seem to be evolving in my work what your concerns are or some of them some of them are rooted in concerns for Mm -hmm. sure but i I would say that sometimes it's just like a process within a process that sort of feels like it's searching and in that searching you know lies that poem Mm -hmm. i don't know if i'm making Mm -hmm. sense no you yes you are because i'm thinking a lot about searching hugh stimson the engineer says says it's very sensible (laughs) thank you um so yeah it's it's kind of that idea where if no matter if 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 you're writing in in some ways that you could always Mm -hmm. be writing about loss for example right and so even if there's um like a giraffe in the poem or if you're taking a you know a a tour of the Mm -hmm. smithsonian whatever it is it's somehow about loss even though that's not necessarily the intention of the, the first layer right um so zilka when was it that you felt um that you felt like a writer then or or did someone come up to you and say, holy Toledo girl, you're, you're <laughs> got this writing thing going on? Um, that was pretty recent, actually. It was when I was in Chicago, I would go for a lot of writing conferences and uh, attend a lot of readings by authors all over. And I, I was in ecstasy because I'd never been able to really ever see these people in person. So for me, that was something that really moved me. Who were some of the people that you... I saw Toni Morrison. I saw Arundhati Roy. I saw Alice Walker, Gwendolyn Brooks several times because I would go to the Guild Complex uh, programs. Haki Mahabuti does a lot with that. And I just got to know a lot of 
real living writers in Chicago and in the you know the U.S. the ones who would come by. Salman Rushdie visited, so I got to hear him. So I mean, it did a lot. It just excited me a lot. But I don't think I really started writing till I moved to Michigan, when I I joined writers' workshops. And then just, you know... And which ones were these? The very first one was at the Rochester Hills Public Library with uh, Margot Lagatuta. uh, And she's very popular, uh, a writer and columnist. And it was great to be there, you know, just just basic things. And it was fun to just try writing. And then slowly I, I went for more conferences and more serious classes and just got into this beautiful community of Detroit writers and uh, slowly got published and that's my story really well well let's and we'll hear a little <laughs> bit more about that sure. when we come back zilka All okay right. um today on living writers lands i live in um zilka joseph's first first book um mt hetzel you're listening to living writers and we'll be we'll be back back. You're listening to Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. And today on the program, we've got Zilka Joseph in the house. Um, when we just left off, if you're just tuning in, uh, Zilka was talking about the the moments where she began to really live, live as a writer. Um, and not just like someone who f- very much appreciated language, because that's been clear since mm-hmm. your beginning very beginning right, um, right. And, you, and, and and you were saying it really happened in detroit and with the artists the writers community there could right. you tell us about it sure i um we moved to michigan in 2000 and i like i said i i started taking writers workshops at libraries at first and then I became aware of uh, a nonprofit called Springfed Arts Metro Detroit Writers. And uh, they're just a wonderful community of people, bring in lots of writers, have lots of classes, give lots of scholarships uh, to students and, you know, just regular people. And I took classes with Mary Jo Fort Gillette. And uh, I don't know if you've had her on her program. She has her first book 
out and she won an award for it. Well, Christine Ryan was on the program earlier and she she mentioned um, that she was very important in her development too, or her life. And she's a classmate of mine too. So we kind of grew together in this, you know, whole community. And Chris has done wonderfully well and it's just so exciting to see, you know, what happening with her book and her Wild career flights. just wonderful yes. and um, so these are the people I've been with for a while and um, people who really nurture uh, writing and, and as well as they bring in a lot of uh, poets from around the country and have wash, you know have us do workshops with them so it's it's been wonderful that we I mean, that's how we've grown and that the whole community is is very vibrant. We have so many readings in the city that we can't keep up. You know, it's not just the city, but in the whole metro Detroit area. Mm -hmm. So there are cafes and there are libraries and then the jazz the Jazz Lounge, which Emil Liebler very often has his magic poetry band. I hope, Emil, you're listening sometime. <laughs> but <laughs> Magic he, poetry band. Right. Oh, he has music great. and poetry. And he has CDs and books. And it, it, so it, it's just been just wonderful to be around people like this and people who've encouraged me and supported me tremendously. And you find that it fuels you. It's not something where, because it almost sounds that it could uh, slightly be overwhelming if there's things happening all the time, but but you you found it as a fuel. I meant that as an example of how vibrant the community Mm. is right now and how much is happening in poetry in Detroit. And uh, which it's has not, long been a place for yes, poetry and art, the city. and art, yeah. music, art. There's, it's just really, really rich. And um, even though I live in Auburn Hills, I would kind of go back and forth, and you know attend what I could. <laughs> and of course, I would drive, you know, my husband would drive me all the way to Ann Arbor for some of the, re- the readings as well. So that was long, long ago before I came to the university and became a student here. So, yes, that and, they've and, and been you very with, important. you worked with, as a writer-in-residence, with Inside Out, too. That's with that right. I did, uh, yes, I did a year with uh, Inside Out, and that was really meaningful. I So going travel. back to the teaching as well. Right, yes. right. Teaching and also with, you know, teaching poetry and getting the kids to write and then putting together this lovely book of their work. So it was not just satisfying you know, to put the book together, but to see the kids look at a book that we did, you know, that's the whole year's work that we put together with their artwork and their poems. And so that was really very meaningful to me. Which school were you? uh, Uh, I was at Bagley Elementary. Oh, Yes, it's at Seven Mile and off Woodward, yeah. So that was, and I would drive all the way on Woodward because I wouldn't go on the freeway <laughs> so. so it was a, like a long trip you had like this a, it was an uh, hour's drive on Woodward, and it was... wasn't fun in winter no, no. <laughs> i um, don't do well in winter for the love of the kids right that's um, it was um, great yeah. well your winter resistance might come from you know mm. your your <laughs> bombay and calcutta i'm not i'm not sure um and so and so now you you're in you're here at the university that's right. that's and right. um and so how does it, you've already now 
help me out here, Zilka. Is this because um, it says that you're working on your first full length collection? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so would you call this? Is this a chapbook? Is this first book a chapbook, or do you call it a book? Or what? What's the distinction with that? Yeah, that that's a little strange because sometimes a forty page book is called a full length or below 40 pages, it's called a chapbook. And I think when I put this book together, um, you know, it, it was generally considered that 42 pages would be a chapbook. So I said, you know, yeah, it's a chapbook. But then, you know, there are other categories that still consider it a book because chapbooks are like, 20 pages or 30 pages so you know then i just began saying a book yes right because you're able to see the title on the spine rather than just the the crease exactly exactly i i like that spine so when sometimes the books come out without it i'm not very happy about but i i do consider it a book and um i don't know i i don't know what other people would say about you know the number of pages, but what does you know, it matter? It's okay. Really, right? It's all right. How how was working with May Apple Press? How did that come? come oh, that about? was that was really wonderful. Um, May Apple Press has uh, published a collection of poems, which Mary Jo Fertilette and Diane DeSillis, who is also a classmate and a wonderful writer, they put together this book of Mona Lisa poems. So when that book was launched, um, I saw, you know, the kind of work that uh, Judith Kerman did. And she's a wonderful woman. She's this, you know, really strong one-man show, brings out these really beautiful, um, you know, trade paperback copies. So uh, I, I, sent, I sent in work. And I saw that she, she had books by authors uh, of different cultures. So I thought, okay, this might be a good place to try. And, you know, my friend uh, Diane and Mary Jo encouraged that. And I, I uh, just sent in an application the regular way online and uh, with a reading fee and all the rest of it. And I, I got a response. And, um, and how the book long was had you published. Been writing by that point, Zilka? I like, think about. That? Probably about three years by wow, then. But I'm, you know, I'm really bad with time. Yeah, time. So yeah. if I say three and I'll go home, and say, no, it was actually four. But you know, <laughs> I'm really bad at that. But um, yeah, it was maybe four. But I, w- I won't get into that. Right, right. No, that's fine. <laughs> but how exciting then! So that, it that, was. that there's already it, this artifact that's that's right, in the world. Right. Like and it's, it's what was wonderful, object. it was the first manuscript I ever submitted. Cold. To any, I mean, I hadn't really submitted it otherwise either, but that was the first one that I sent out into the world, and it got accepted, so that was unbelievable to me. Right, and you didn't have to suffer rejection after rejection no, that you're supposed to bring for. Wow. For, for, for other poems, yes, but for this <laughs> manuscript, I was very lucky. And uh, then within a year, I had the book in my hands, so that was really great. Yeah, so it gives you some um, instant af- affirmation, really. In Almost some ways. instant. Almost a year. I guess when you pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so when you when you did send it out, was it your decision to have it work in two sections, Zilka? Because you've got the first section is um, uh, entitled "Across Worlds," mm-hmm. and the second "Old Countries." Right. Um, it, this manuscript is pretty much the way it looks when I. The way it looked when I submitted it. Mm. So with just uh, maybe a couple of changes and maybe I pulled out a poem or two, 
and added something else. I know I did pull out a couple of poems, but otherwise this this is pretty much the way it looked. And, and, and I did have it in these two sections, yeah. And did you see the book... Um uh, already, like sort of as the themes that uh, when other people have have written about it as um, this this coming to a new place, but still keeping your 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 birthplace in with right. you, is right. that sort of like is that why you took some of the poems out and uh, I, shaped it that way, or had no, two the, sections? Okay, I, I'll answer that in two parts. Okay. One, one is parts. <laughs> I asked like 20 questions there. So. Uh, no, the poems I pulled out were just the weaker ones. And, you know, somehow they were po- either there was there was one poem that didn't quite fit, but I thought it did. And then, you know, when we, we talked about it and realized, okay, this is not the greatest poem to be in this particular collection. So I pulled that out. And as to uh, the theme of the book and the subject matter, I don't, I think I just wrote it as my story. And I don't think, I've not been a person who is constantly conscious about like what's going on in the world or, or what's being written by other writers or what themes exist, you know, in, in particular kinds of writing. So this was something that I wrote without much knowledge of the larger world of poetry, particularly in America. And I think it's only now that I, being in this program and learning about, you know, people talk about my place in American literature, and I keep thinking, so how am I to be placed in this world of writing? And there are many problems and many issues with that. And I think that's something that I will have to, you know, understand and navigate. And because um, I get asked questions like, so do you consider yourself an Indian writer or an American writer? Or are you a multicultural writer? And there are these oh, different... Oh, those were all my questions for the second <laughs> half. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just all right. I'm taking right. them all away now. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, I, you know what I mean when I say that. But is you know, that those... something that's that's the pleasing because there's some sort of challenge, or do you just say, "Look, Lord, just let me write whatever it is." Like, it's is it true. Just sort of I just say, "Lord, just let me write," <laughs> and then I'm going to leave. You know, whatever categories people want to put me into, that's truly up to them. But I don't think I write to a particular subject. This is me, and I'm going to write about myself and who I am and uh, where I'm going and and I don't know where I'm going and basically that's what the writing's about <laughs> but uh, no I don't particularly I like to be aware of what's out there now I'm becoming more conscious of what's out there but I don't think that changes what I do and what I write because that's my particular brand of writing mm-hmm. my voice Yes. So I don't think that's going to be affected by that. It sounds like the, some of these considerations then have come from being in the program in some ways. That's what you well, that's what it seems like you said. To some extent, ago. yes. And I, you know, and just picking up books and reading authors, other Indian uh, uh, authors of Indian origin in the U.S., which I've you know who I've been reading before, but now I'm kind of looking at them in a different light to see you know what exists. And uh, sure, by coming, by being in this program, I'm being made aware because, you know, we are 
talking about contemporary American writing and, you know, who's writing and what poetry is out there. So for me, it, it it's knowledge. It's not, um, you know, who's out there and, you know, it, it's, I need, I, I definitely like to know and like to be informed and um it but it seems also like i wonder if it's something because you've you've come to seeing yourself as a poet um maybe later than than some people decide to right, um, right. this is my second life actually so <laughs> it's totally is uh, a second chance at like a whole new you know career a whole new gift really it's just I'm very, very lucky. And maybe this is also why you feel so certain about your voice. Like that's not something that even though you're gaining knowledge and you're having maybe a different type of understanding or right, consideration right, for other things, right. the voice can can remain from the core because you're sure of right, that in right, a way. Right. I, I I think that I think that definitely something that grounds me and uh yeah, and you know, I've I've already lived Quite a long time, so I need. That's part of my existence, my experience. <laughs> just for those listening, it's not like Zilpha's like a million years old here, as you can probably tell from her voice. Okay, we're gonna take a short break. All right, All right you're, we'll be back. You're okay. listening to Zilka Joseph on Living Writers. Um, we'll be back. Thanks. Come gather around, people, wherever you roam, and admit that the Accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone If your time to you is worth saving Then you better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone For the times they are changing I'm writer Privatize with your pen And keep your eyes wide The chance won't come again And don't speak too soon For the wheel's still in spin And there's no telling who that it's naming Was a loser now will be later to win For the times they are a-changing Senators, congressmen, please heed the call. Don't stand in the doorway, don't lock up the hall. For he that gets hurt will be he My who hair has stopped. <laughs> Welcome back. You're listening to Living Writers, and and Zilka Joseph um, is here today, and we've just been having a couple of tunes by um, the beloved uh, troubadour, Bob Dylan. Dylan. (laughs) I don't know why I called him a troubadour. I don't know. Getting kind of crazy here the day before Thanksgiving. Um, And um, and and Bob Dylan is is a pretty important poet and uh, in your life. Yes, right. So yes, definitely. When I sent out the email today, I, a Tex who who has uh, who's who's here at the radio station too. He emailed back a story about Bob Dylan about forty years ago. Um, he was traveling and he was uh, in a Kansas City motel and. Um, 
he was invited to go to someone's house for Thanksgiving. Kindly, someone was including oh, him. Okay. But he decided, he's like, uh, he decided, no, I'm going to stay in this Kansas City motel. And he wrote Just Like a Woman. No kidding. So, uh, I didn't that's know a, that story. That's a Bob Dylan story oh, via text. So That's cool. Um, all right. Well, cool. And so what does Bob Dylan mean to you, Zilko? What? I just, he's, he's a poet. And, you know, if you love poetry, I think he, he is really the greatest U.S. poet. Life. <laughs> oh right! <laughs> There's totally. a bunch of poets out there with their hackles rising. No, I'm I just kidding. See. No people. Oh can. yes, that's possible. No, no. I mean, I just think I just I grew up. Power? I grew up with uh, you know listening to all the good stuff everybody did in the '60s and the '70s, and uh, people like Dylan and Cohen and Joan Baez and Mitchell and The Doors, and so you know all. The, so, there was so much part of my life. And, and so and all that music. So it, forgive me, but like, was it something where it was just something that was all around you and the culture of Calcutta, or how were you, or was it something that you were finding, or your brothers and sisters were finding, or how does it? Right, I don't know. How does right. I, I just the, the people I knew, my my family, my brother and sister very definitely were into a lot of music. So I was growing up listening to all this stuff, and uh, you know their friends, and then later my friends. So uh, a lot of it you know, was just there around me, including Indian music and classical music. Though we didn't listen to a lot of Indian classical at home, I was in, always interested and, you know, would go to concerts of all kinds. And we had a lot of jazz um, uh, concerts. We had uh, people from, you know, Britain and the U.S. visiting. So th there was this, there was a lot going on culturally in Calcutta. And uh, I was always part of that so I just loved it um, it seems like Calcutta is, is such an important place because it's also mm -hmm. another uh, poet that, that you've um, cited before is mm -hmm. Tagore uh, as well right. yes right. and um, and he is also from that, that yes, area. Bengal definitely uh, and his family had you know and of course Shantiniketan where he established his uh, university where a lot of people still go to study the fine arts so it's um Vishwabharati University, yeah, and and he's he's a, a, a well a poet of great power, and of right. course like a right. sort of a, a person who's done many different types of artistic cre cre creating, as well as Absolutely. starting a school, which right. is, um, and and I think it said about. Calcutta, what Calcutta thinks today, Bengal thinks tomorrow, and the rest of India day after tomorrow. Okay. So, so you were right. sort of in the the cultural. I that was actually said during you know the national movement, and because all the the big freedom fighters sort of came out of Calcutta, so you know Calcutta has always been very proud of that, and uh, and in many ways I think that is true because there is. Uh, a great wealth of uh, cultural activities in Calcutta, e even today, that's very different than what's happening in the rest of the cities because it's still very grassroots. You know, there's a lot of grassroots movements rather than just, you know, very uh, ostentatious, you know, theatrical productions or anything. We have some of that, but then we have... You know, just groups of poets who just love poetry, who get together and 
you know, there are these evenings of poetry where people read in Bengali and Hindi and Urdu. When I visited uh, Calcutta this May, I, I, had, I got my book launched, actually, in yes. Calcutta, which was very exciting. And I was invited to read at one of these gatherings. And it was just beautiful to at just a bookshop be you knew right was it Oxford yes. Oxford bookstore yes. yeah. and uh, the the other reading that I'm referring to was by a group called Srijan and that that's where I read with other poets in I mean they read in Bengali and Hindi and Urdu and I was the guest so I read to them yeah it was beautiful Kurt flying in from America yes <laughs> um yes well that's that's um do you think you'll ever go back, Zilka, or, or is that not even, like, um, you might, you might not, who knows? I will definitely go back to visit. My family is all, they're all in, in Calcutta, most of them. My sister lives in Bangalore. I My parents are 84, two of them, both of them. That's a fine in age. Calcutta, absolutely. And definitely, I mean, I, I want to go back every year to see them. Sometimes it gets harder every year to go back, but I have many, many ties there and friends and family and, you know, ex-students and their families who I'm still very close to. So I definitely have both these worlds that are very much part of me now. Yes. Well, well, let's hear some of your poems. And, and you actually mentioned that you'd like to start with a poem uh, by Lorna. Uh, yes. Which is- Lorna uh, Goodison, uh, my professor and yours. <laughs> right? uh, I just thought it would be, I'd really like to read a poem of hers that she mentioned to me once. And also in a way to sort of give thanks because um, I'm a great believer in um, you know the teacher and the guru the guru shishya thing and um, I just thought this would be a beautiful poem because in a way this is a poem about searching and trying to find yourself and the soul and God to some extent no small poem no small poem (laughs) (laughs) close to you now Close to you now, I talk at the evening sky. Maybe that is where your heart is. Your chest all decorated with stars and the keen scythe blade of the crescent moon. Ever since I gave up telling to anyone but you, I have become so filled with love that I used to waste. Now I confess to you straight. I ask you questions. I sleep. I speak the answers when I wake. When I gave up walking from door to door with my begging bowl, I became conscious that my bowl had always been full of the fine gold wheat, which only the prayerful can see and eat. And all the time I was living on leftovers. I lie in my bed and cry out to you. I cover myself with a humming tune, spread, which says as it weaves itself, you, you, and only you. No one could ever sight up the true intentions of this heart. But ever since I stop explaining, I watch them blow past me like chaff. Alone and silent now, I hear again the coded notes played by the rain, which dictated the first poems. I want to walk across this green island, singing like the Guinea woman, showers, showers of blessing, until you cover my lips and I go silent and still, and I will see your face and want then for nothing. 
Thanks for reading that. And this is my thank you to several teachers, and I'd like to acknowledge them now, if I may. Um, Linda Goodison, uh, Linda Gregerson, Lorna, of course, Keith Taylor, and Laura Kasishki. A good group. A good group. Wonderful teachers. (laughs) I'm so lucky. And, And... and and amazing poets all each um and so different from each other as well so we're lucky to have all of them here so yeah this is thanks for bringing the spirit of thanksgiving to the program zilka joseph um let's hear one of yours before we before we take a break is there one that you yeah um do we have a lot of time this is like about a longish poem short poem you, you, okay. you just read, and okay, we'll see. I'll just read. We'll just work with that. Okay. okay. All right. Uh, this poem is called Introduction to Circles. Perhaps I was confused by the arched glass of the Sears Tower, the silver L winding the loop, its roar echoing in the canyons of buildings, the whine of the saxophone scraping saxes, rotating doors and the low growls from the bearded man, his legless body in fatigues, selling flags by American girl place. Maybe I was dizzy because while looking for the bus stop for the 145, I wandered into a circle of people screaming, don't buy fur, don't kill the animals, just outside Marshall Fields on Michigan Avenue. So when Martha asked me to join her book club, a group of 40-ish women and high-profile careers, all big business school alumni, I was overwhelmed by her kindness, thinking I would make friends and treat myself to intellectual discussion. They had chosen Arundhati Roy's Booker Prize winner, The God of Small Things, so I could tell them about India. It was strange, hearing the names of the characters from their mouths. How come they asked me, you speak such good English, then asked me about arranged marriage? Told me later, of course, I knew, didn't I, that they were all divorced, and now dating furiously and finding only frogs? No princes, even in Europe, where they traveled for business. Maria told me she had immersed herself in the Japanese language and culture because her ex was Japanese, but being Catholic refused to give her a divorce. Nancy said she had married a man from Norway, but living there depressed her, so they moved here and he looked for a job but wasn't happy. He killed himself while she was at work. Her friends told me where she had found him when she came home. As I listen, I feel the pinpricks of curious eyes, an unspoken rush of questions they're too polite to ask, but finally do. About oppression of women, about my being a professional, but barred from working for five years, and the fact that I'm still married. I find it hard to answer, eat, and while eating, talk about the caste system, the status of women, or the lack of it. Terrified of dropping crumbs or spilling my wine, all the while explaining behavioral patterns and traditions of life forms on my planet. They ask me to pick a book for next time. I choose Song of Solomon. They have barely heard of it. Two of them say they've seen Toni Morrison on the Oprah show and then ask, you do see Oprah there? This is how an ambassador must feel. 
At least diplomats are groomed on what to say and how. And while I fumble now, my voice like smoke rings, telescoping through each other in this soft-lit living room. I notice only a vase of purple irises. In my hand, a fluted paper plate with more irises with big yellow eyes, where the spirals of pinwheel sandwiches filled with cream cheese and sun-dried tomato paste seem to turn faster and faster. The Ferris wheel at Navy Pier, its light like a broken necklace, spilling pearls onto the nighttime mirror of Lake Michigan. Thank you, Zilka. Um, That's Zilka Joseph reading um, from her her book, Lands I Live In. You're listening to Living Writers on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. We'll be back. Suzanne takes you down to her place near the river. You can hear the boats go by You can spend the night beside her And you know that she's half crazy But that's why you wanna be there And she feeds you tea and oranges That come all the way from China And just when you mean to tell her That you have no love to give her Then she gets you on her wavelength And she lets the river answer That you've always been her lover And you want to travel with her And you want to travel blind And you know that she will trust you For you've touched her perfect body With your mind Jesus was a sailor when he walked upon the water And he spent a long time watching from his lonely wooden tower And when he knew for certain Welcome back. You're listening to Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and today on the program, Zilka Joseph is here. Um, Zilka is... Uh, has read a poem from Lands I Live In. Um, and you can pick this book up at Shaman Drum. Also at Borders, Silka? Is uh, it? At, yes, at, at Barnes & Noble should have them and Amazon.com. There's three left online. at Amazon <laughs> as of today. Yeah. Um, we'll ship immediately and more on the way, it says on Amazon. Okay. <laughs> Great. <laughs> and of course, you could also order directly from May Apple Press. So... Which would be anyway. a great thing to do so to support a local independent, independent publisher. Press, yeah, yes, that would so be that's great. May Apple Press in um, uh, Bay, in Bay City. Bay City. Yeah. Um, all right, so Zilka, okay, let's um, hear another poem. What is what's this okay, from? Well, what I decided to do is I would read two other poems uh, that are a little different from the book, and then finally end with the poem from the book. If and Sounds see good. how much time we have. Um, this is a poem that was published in uh, Gastronomica and I this is a poem I get very excited about because it's it's um, about wine and uh, <laughs> wine and food are 
all our favorites. And I guess if it's Thanksgiving, it's it's great to talk about wine too. Okay, this film is called Sommelier. The way it hits the mouth, he says, counts. Holding only the stem, he raises the perfect glass to the yellow sun filling the vineyard, swirls the breathless, just freed Pinot Noir, and first smells, then sips the black cherry kiss of it. Let's the velvet, full-bodied flavor with rosemary tones immerse him. How it tastes depends on where it grows, he says, like the Côte d'Or or Napa. And the right rain, shade, mist, sun, the breath of slope and soil, the goo de terroir, not forgetting some sweet spice, bitter herb, the vintner's choice of oaken barrels. When he says the way it hits the mouth depends on the glass, I taste his smile, see my lips blow curves into glasses, feel my heat shape flute, goblet, cup, and I know then how the dark wine closes its liquid eyes as I lift it to my lips, and it wonders what my aroma will be, how smooth the shape of my palate, and how its mouth will read my roundness, and if it will savor the complex stones, the hidden taste of me. Ah! <laughs> That's lovely. I, I, I love you. poem to the Pinot Noir and a discovery of self. Right. And I, when I wrote this poem, I thought it would never get published because soon after that, the film Sideways came out and it talked about the Pinot Noir. And I thought very seriously of changing that. But uh, I was lucky. They still liked the poem. So it yes. was good. Yeah. Um, the next poem I'm going to read is a little different, and um, hopefully this will become part of a different manuscript. It's called Kingdom of Sharks. You think they swim in some faraway ocean where you say you never go. But what about the ones whose fins never break the surface of your well-lit aquarium, complete with a plastic diver in a wetsuit exploring remains of ships, ancient pagodas, a lost Atlantis? And those who hide, watch you circle inside your bubble, dash from shadows to eat your money, your clothes, and the ones whose bodies talk to you, take your woman or man, make your home disappear. And the ones that ram you like runaway 18-wheelers with three rows of teeth, you guessed it, they aren't tidy feeders. And no, they don't swallow you whole, just drown you in the wine of your own blood, break your body bit by bit like bread. Then think about all the mighty angels of death, those who do not pass over, though your doorposts bear the sign, but strike, feast while you serve, feast while you uh, serve in the valley of shadows forever. And when they move on, they make way for others more terrible, the kind obsessed with detail, who look in the sand for the last piece of your shredded heart that escaped, leave no evidence of their existence or yours. 
That's a creepy poem. <laughs> I know. If only I had known, I would have asked you to play the shark. Like that? No, that would that be that. Yo, know, that doesn't do it justice. It's see. That's my inclination is <laughs> immediately to say something um, stupid or I think no. funny. Because um, <laughs> yeah, that's that's a dark. Yeah, that's yeah, a dark. That's I love the kingdom of sharks. Right. Um, yeah, that that collection probably will have a lot of poems about nature and animals and you know human nature too so yeah is that something that at all goes from your formative reading with Tagore because him of of working in the tradition of nature poems I don't know if that has directly influenced me but I have always you know from childhood been very involved with animals and nature and just I think my knowledge of animals too has been um, very much a part of you know my growing up because my f- my family loved animals so you know we always bought books and read encyclopedias about animals so you know it kind of informed me very early in life mm. so mm. I think did it's you have animals out of in the, the home too yes yes almost always and what people brought in little you know creatures that fell out of nests or things like that little birds and. But mostly we had dogs, yeah. We had at least one dog at each, you know, for some time. And then... Uh, dogs are great. Dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a dog person. Totally. Do you have any dog poems? Uh, actually not, but they might appear but sometime. Soon, yes. Yeah, I have I have others, but not, not dog not poems dogs yet. yet. Yeah. Um, because coming soon on the program, Amy Hempel will be play, oh, airing her show. Wonderful. And, and that's... Um, she read some beautiful uh, short shots the other night. Yeah. And they were all the dog... The dog... <laughs> Yeah. Speaking of dogs, right? right? Yes, yeah. Yes. Um, well, Very much well, let's so. let's hear um, another from your your book, Zilka, Lands I Live In. Um, okay. Have- um, I'm going to read a poem that uh, I I often use Bengali and Hindi words in my writing because it just comes very naturally to me sometimes to use a term. And uh, this uh, particular poem is called Kauli Haddi. Uh, this is in Marathi. This, this di- these words are in Marathi, and I'm hoping that the meaning will come through in the poem. Kauli Haddi. Savory crunch of soft bone, how good it tasted in curry. Kauli Haddi, peninsula tip of breastbone from a small desi chicken dad bought on the pavement at Bull Bazaar. Mom grumbled as she picked clotted sand from its thin, tight skin before she cooked it, kept feet gizzard for stock. My father loves bulky flesh, tender breast meat steeped in flavor, falling off the triangle of translucent bone. The supple end curves to a pliant tongue drunk with masala, ginger warm, garlic sharp, coriander mellow. But he rarely ate it, breaking off that cowley tip with his wiry engineer fingers, salty with memories of sea, flecked with rice and curry, so that even when we were grown, and especially when we returned to visit, he fed my sister or me. The precious Kauli Haddi, his harsh words forgotten, we watched him bend, melt the hard-beaten bones of his tough maritime heart. 
It's Thank a food you. poem again. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's yeah. Maybe you're just getting everybody ready for the big, big meal tomorrow. No, that was beautiful. Thank you. Thank Did, you. What so does much. your dad think about the like? Does because is that one that you chose to read when you went back to India? Yes. For the, so for the I. Lunch? It was. It was a difficult decision, actually, to share my writing with my family because it just felt like this was something very private in my world. And uh, so when I did, I, you know, it was interesting to see what different people would say. And uh, I think my dad did sort of feel excited that I was actually writing about him in the poem. And there are other poems where both my mother and father are, you know, very much in there. And uh, like you when know, you were calling yes, them, yes. you were call, like that's one of the poems I can think of when you were right. calling them from Chicago every Friday. Right, right. There's right. much of halfway across the world where we would talk, and we still do. Yes. And now I call them twice a week because you know they don't keep very well. So oh. that's a way of you know keeping in touch and seeing how they are. They feel good about it too, and I get to keep in you know regular track of what's happening with them. But but you were so. saying that they so they were they then able to see oh our daughter the poet then or the I th- I think to some extent they do, but I on the other hand, they're like they're not too sure what this is all about, and you know what are all these things I'm saying about them. <laughs> so there's there's something about that that I can never really explain to them, and uh, so uh, but but this is going to be what I write about, and and I will continue to do so. Darn it! Darn it! <laughs> Too bad. <laughs> yeah. Well, when um, when will listeners have an opportunity to to see you read? So um, I will be reading uh, f- for the Webster series of the MFA program, and that's going to be on the sixteenth of January. It's a Friday, and it's going. To, it's at seven in the Hussey Room. I oh, think that's in the at Michigan, Michigan League. League. Yes, yes. And, uh, I love that Hussey Room. I love to you say Hussey. Say room. that without. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's and that's in January. That's in January. Okay. And then uh, Sweetwater's um, Cafe, um, uh, Chris Lord invited me to read for the group there. And that will be on April the 21st. I think it's a Tuesday night at 7. So in the new year, yes. people will have a couple of opportunities to go hear your poems. I would be happy to see them. Well, that would, well thank you for being on the program today. Thank you so, so much, Dee. Uh, this has been an honor. And, and um, Zilka Joseph. And her book that you can go pick up or order online, <laughs> Lands I Live In. Um, thanks so much again to Hugh Stimson for engineering. Thanks for listening, Ann Arbor, for those streaming wherever you are, maybe Florida, Chicago, um, Seattle. You've got sports up next. Um, I'm T. Hetzel. Until next time. Good evening, friends. Thank you for that warm welcome.
Sports Report. Michigan with the ball at the Michigan State 21-yard line. Three wide receivers, two far, one near. Henny under center. He'll drop back to pass. Looks for Edwards in the end zone. Jump ball. And it is caught by Braylon Edwards. Braylon Edwards in the back of the end zone. Gets the touchdown for the Wolverines. And the comeback is almost complete. Good evening, everyone. I'm Jeremy Kreisberg, and you're tuned in to the Daily Sports Report. Last day before Thanksgiving on November 26, 2008, on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. I'll start it with Michigan sports. And last night, the Michigan basketball team improved to 4-1. and one. We were at the game to bring you the action. Michigan beating Norfolk State 83-49. to It's another big game for Manny Harris, and well, he has been certainly uh, the best player in the Big Ten thus far this season. 